And uh, <laughs> we're here again. We're back. back. So, Barbershop is very much a double-edged sword. Um, it's awesome that we have so many people passionate about it. Um, but we sometimes we, we have got quite good at keeping it a bit of a well-kept secret. Yeah. So it's, I'm actually quite excited to have a guest here who is from outside Barbershop. Please uh, tell our listeners a bit about yourself. Hey, um, so my name is Amanda. Um, I'm a high school music teacher at um, a creative and performing arts high school. Um, and yeah, so I guess my experience of barbershop is I, I knew what it was. I've heard a bit, but at my school I run an acapella group, and so I was online and I saw Harmony College and went, "Ooh, Harmony! That looks like fun." So here I am. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. And what what was it? It was just the. Um, am I correct in assuming you, you didn't know who any of the educators were? No, I didn't. I, which sounds like a horrible thing to no, say. No, no, completely um, But I literally, no, yeah. I, I maybe read a couple of names somewhere yeah. before and recognised a couple, but I actually, I had no idea who anyone was um, or what their backgrounds were. And so I read like all the information on yeah. the website yeah. and I thought that's very interesting. Okay. But again, I'm learning as I've been here who all of Who's the people the are. And yes. That's right. Yeah, and it is absolutely. Who's who in the zoo? <laughs> Ah. <laughs> yes, hey, nice. Thank you, Amanda. And so, um, uh, what uh, what expectations did you have? Were they sort of fairly, fairly broad and, and somewhat vague, given you didn't know the barbershop world? Oh, or? completely. Yep. Completely broad yep. and completely vague. Yep. I really, like, even though online it had what the classes were about, I really had no idea what I was coming to, but I figured as an educator, as a singer, as somebody that works with ensembles, there's always something to learn. Yeah. So I figured Absolutely. that I would glean something from regardless of what was here. Um, and yes, I have <laughs> a lot, so much, yeah. Lots of things, I've learnt a whole new vocabulary. I didn't know what a tag was until I arrived here and in fact I'd never sung a tag until last night. So <laughs> now I know what that is and learnt, um, yeah, just starting to understand the harmonies. So I obviously having heard some barbershop had understood that there are specific harmonies that are in it, but I didn't know yeah. why there was so much of a use of sevenths. And, and, and I guess the more classes I go to, the more I'm learning why those are important and what the use of the overtones is and why those chords are used. So that for me, I guess, as an educator as well, is filling in a whole pile of gaps. Of, awesome. I hear something, I'm like, oh, why did they do that? Now I know. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So, excellent. Yeah. And so tell us from, you know, you've only been around for a few days here, but how do you think we could be better at engaging the non-barbershop, broader acapella, singing, broader musical world? Um, it's probably a really big question that maybe I, I need to That's, yeah, no, no, about. Please take but the time if you have to, yeah. Definitely there's a lot... This is probably the first time I've really noticed something being advertised, and I noticed it advertised through an a cappella thing. Yep. So, it, it, to me, it came through from the Deke Sharon, which I, I wasn't able to attend, but it, it came through to me from that, and then I followed links through. Sure. So, when, particularly in high school, when you think you know a cappella, you don't naturally straight away think barbershop. Yep. Um, so maybe, a li maybe some more, I guess, out there with young people, sort of that connection to. Well, it is a cappella singing with a certain style on it, so that more of that connection to, because everyone nowadays, everyone knows the pentatonics, um, you know. But who else is there out there? What else do they do? And who are the, you know, who are crossroads? I am learning. <laughs> um, so I guess more of that uh, awareness being brought into the same places that a cappella would, would maybe advertise, or advertising is not the right word to use, Understand. but yeah. within, within the education promoting. of schools, yeah. you know, yeah. there's a lot of a cappella education, so I work in a state school, so, you know, within the arts unit that, that fun, fundamentally look after the, the music education in state schools, 
this is how I found out about it, and that's the first time. So maybe more sort of educational connections. Yeah, awesome. No, that's great. So, Thank you. I appreciate yeah. <laughs> putting you on the spot there. Um, and and as a music educator, um, it's it's awesome that you uh, are learning more about what the barbershop style is. Mm. To just you know continue, we're all learning yeah. about uh, music all the time. Is there anything that you think you'll be able to take um, back to your music education about yes. barbershop and say, hey guys, you know this oh is. Oh my gosh! Yes, hundred percent. I mean. On, on a very basic level, what I've learned here about running rehearsals and you know ways of doing that and and things that I'm listening for in my group but didn't know, you know, now working on the valves and you know synchronization of, of the resonance and all that kind of stuff. That yes, I'm going to straight away take that back into my rehearsals. But the other thing I'm going to do is I've got all this information about tags and things like that. So I've got you know tag master and classic tags and all that. Actually wanting to now take bring a tag into each of my rehearsals. Because it's a different type of harmony to what we might be working on, but I think it's really important to aim at that resonance and aim at those and start listening for those overtones and, and that sort of really close harmony with more of the sevenths and ninths and things that we don't often do in you know high school acapella um, to really actually start pushing them because you know I was looking for that next step of where do I push these guys next without jumping straight into jazz harmonies, which I really hard yes, to do. Yes. So singing a tag, learning a tag, learning about that side of things, I think is actually that's a really good next step for me um, and I've gleaned so much information about going to you know how to run a quartet rehearsal I don't run a quartet but like it's a rehearsal <laughs> you know listening to duets that sort of stuff listening to choral acoustics warm-up techniques all those sorts of things I think I, I like I'm really excited to now go back and take everything and now how do I apply it to my group and how do I bring these barbershop things into it to actually sort of push them that next step so Awesome, awesome. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Thank you so much right. for your yeah. time. Uh, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Amanda, non-specific barbershop music educator. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your, your days. I will. Here. Thank you so much. Nice it's, you. I look, everyone's been amazing. I, you know, I knew not a single soul here, yeah. and I just feel completely welcome to... Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. how they get you. <laughs> That's how it happens. <laughs> yeah. And go. Excellent. And we're on. Excellent, again. <laughs> G'day again, everyone. We are joined here by Fred Farrell. The tenor of 1989 International Champion Quartet, second edition, and the tenor of 2009 International Champion Quartet, Crossroads. Fred, welcome. Thank you. Good Great to have to be you here. here. It's wonderful to be here. Um, mate, uh, yeah, so first off, um, tell us about uh, the good old days and uh, tell us about uh, the, the years leading up to 1989 and, and when, you, when you knew you were onto a good thing. Well, uh, you know, I was, I, I was from a very, very rural part of the uh, the United States and I was we call it Merca. Yeah. <laughs> sang in a very small chorus that my father directed so I, I grew up singing barbershop with my family and my parents but it was in such a rural area and there was no no real prospects for me anywhere close by for quartetting um, so I go I, I started going to Harmony College uh, when I my first Harmony College was when I was 12 wow. and uh, I just absolutely fell in love because I've met a, a whole bunch of other young guys uh, that you know were looking to sing tags and we'd spend you know all week singing tags and I'd come back every year I went for many many years in a row and um, you know many of those guys have gone on that's where I met Mike Slamka that's where I met uh, you know I knew Jim Henry before but I you know certainly got to know him better at Harmony College and Tony DeRosa and all these guys that were very young and unknown at the time mm -hmm. um, we all kind of got our start singing tags at Harmony College and um, and that's where I met Jamie Meyer, 
uh, he was there, uh, who was the base of, of uh, you know, um, second edition. Yeah. And I got to know him, and then he, we kept in touch. He told me about his new quartet, second edition, and uh, nobody had ever heard of Jamie Meyer, but Alan Hatton from the Bluegrass Studio Union was the original tenor, and the Harrington Brothers, of course, were very well known. And, and so I knew this was going to be a great quartet, and I was very happy for him. And I always kind of felt sorry for myself. I'm like, here I am in the middle of Iowa, <laughs> and I'll never be in a great quartet, you know. And all, of, all of my buddies from Harmony College were, were all off into great quartets. That uh, was me, yes. Yeah. And so um, out of the blue, Jamie called me one day, and uh, he said, Alan decided to, to step down. Uh, the Bluegrass Student Union Institute was still going real strong, and, right. and Alan kind of had to make a choice, and yep. Bluegrass Student Union was paying the bills at that time. <laughs> okay. So um, so they were looking for a tenor, and, and the other Harrington, the Harrington brothers didn't know who I was, and nobody knew who I was, ex was except Jamie, and so Jamie said, I, I know this guy, you know, he's uh, <laughs> from Iowa, and at the time I was, I was 18, 19, I think, and, and didn't really have a you know, strong career path or anything. So mm -hmm. I said, I want to move to Louisville and join our quartet, which oh, is, cool. which is what I did. Cool. So, um, I'd only been in probably two district contests prior to that. Yeah. And so I moved to Louisville in February of 87 and, um, had a silver medal four months, five months later yeah, wow. in my very first international contest. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so it was, so, uh, it, was for, it was very easy, actually. It was yeah, a lot right, easier than I thought it was going to be. Interesting. <laughs> going into that, so what, as soon as you kind of walked in the door and you started singing together, did you know that you were onto something a bit special? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. they had already won district. Okay, right. They won district first so time one, out. Yeah. And there was a lot of buzz about yeah. that quartet, yeah. um, you know, already because the Harrington brothers had just come, up, come off their... Um, they were they were in '85. They were fourth place, and then '86 okay. is was when I I met Jamie at International after Harmony College yep. to, in '85 when we met, and then in '80 at International in 1986 we hung out all week and yeah. said, "Yeah, I'm in a new quartet with David Harrington and Alan Hatton." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> you know. And then that fall of '86 is when they won district, and yeah. so there was a, just a lot of buzz around that quartet, uh, a lot of high expectations mm -hmm. right out of the mm -hmm. right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. yeah, now, wow. now I'm 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 kind of sorry for asking you a controversial question. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, tell me about the quartet's response to the 1988 international results. Well. Um, you for, know, con for context, yeah. and, and, and Fred, uh, it would be too humble to say this, but um, listening back to the uh, the CD, um, uh, there's there's a, um, in my opinion, a, a, a clear singing uh, a superiority for the second place, second edition, uh -huh. and the winners, Chiefs of Staff. So right. that's just a personal opinion. So I'd be interested yeah. in your, your perspective. Well, um, you know, there was obviously a lot of expectation. We were second the first year out, mm. and everybody kind of figured we were the favorite to win, mm. and 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 we made kind of a bad decision our first round in 88 um we tried to do some 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 stuff kind of we sang bill bailey um okay. and uh that was a song that we, we were pretty well known for but we kind of tried to do some some acting and choreography to go okay. along with it that didn't work and okay. I, I think we gave off this air that we were very very arrogant okay. and and full of ourselves and you know we were still very very young yeah. and i mm -hmm. think sometimes there's a there's a there's a feeling that yeah these guys maybe aren't ready they need to be put in their place <laughs> a little bit mm -hmm. we were fourth place after the first round wow um which you know we we felt like we sang really well yeah. but everybody said yeah boy it just really came off 
you know, so, so arrogant. Sort of flat chemistry and, in the yeah, audience. Yeah, and so, um, you know, <clears throat> we were really kind of nervous and felt the pressure and, <clears throat> and came out and we actually, probably the best round we ever had was yeah. in the semifinals in 88. Yeah. And we won the semifinals and finals <clears throat> uh, and actually outscored Chiefs of Staff in singing or uh, sound and, and um, interpret the time, mm -hmm. which were the, with the categories, right. but they, they edged us out in arrangement mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, it was a good thing for mm -hmm. us, ultimately. It really was. <clears throat> it, it, um, uh, it, it gave us a little bit of humility that we probably needed at that time and it allowed us to mature a little bit more. So what was really tough about that, though, um, was that was the one year where they decided to bring all top 10 quartets out for the call-off mm -hmm. uh, on stage, yeah, okay. like they do at the Sweet Adelines yes, today. Yes. Um, they haven't, they never did it before that yeah, I know of, and they yeah. haven't done it since, yeah. but there we were in the front row, <laughs> and then we were called Everyone second place, watched, and we're like, uh, and of course, it's, you it's know. For, for, forever uh, yeah. captured. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been a nice time to have a private <laughs> moment or two before, you yeah. know, yeah. everybody on stage yeah, was, yeah. was there for the world to see, and yeah, that kind of, yeah. But, you know, in retrospect, the Chiefs of Staff all are very great friends. And, and had, it, had it not happened the way it happened, mm -hmm. um, you know, Don Bagley passed away shortly after the Chiefs of Staff 25th oh, wow. anniversary yep. a yep. few years ago. And so we look back on it today yeah. and say, you know, everything happened for the right it's reason yeah. and uh you know at the end of the day i still have a gold medal yeah, and, exactly uh, yeah you know okay. what happens on a particular <clears throat> night or at a particular contest yeah. isn't necessarily yeah. all that important now we could talk all day but we should so, sort of rush through a few more things and so just briefly um tell us the the the, the you know immediate aftermath was it a really quick like trampoline bounce like come on you know we're going to sort of learn from this and we're going to come back next year or what did you kind of take a bit to to, to sort of gather the gather the energy back after 88 um yeah, you know, it was good. We, you know, we weren't necessarily um, the closest four guys okay. from a personality standpoint. Yep. It was sometimes difficult. David and Doug are, you know, obviously brothers. and But, it, it, you know, we, it, it was some, some challenges sometimes yep. yep. personality-wise yep. with that combination of guys. Everyone who has ever sung in a quartet will appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but that was a unifying experience. Yeah. It really oh, cool. humbled us. It brought us together. Yeah. Um, it really kind of, it was just a very, very good thing for us all the way around and just the maturity of the quartet. And did you go into 89 with sort of more of a, I mean, I'm just speculating, but more of a, um, a calmness? Uh, you'd sort of been through a bit of choppy waters in 88 and you just came in and went, okay, let's just do what we do? Um, actually, or not was, really. Or was it the opposite? It was like, yeah. it's so steely, you know, determined. We, we were really diligent about working on a lot of things that we weren't strong at yeah. visually. We weren't a strong yeah. visual quartet, really. We sang well, but... So we spent a lot of time that year working on things like that, mm. and and trying to um, trying to make sure our public persona was was an appealing yep. one. Yep. We really put a lot of thought to that. Sometimes young guys don't sure. aren't always aware sure. of how they're coming off, and so we really wanted to focus on that. And even still going in uh, after what happened the year before, we were a little bit gun shy and certainly sure. didn't have sure. any expectation that. We felt good about it all week. We felt good about all three rounds, and everybody's saying, "Oh, you got it, you, you just got never it." Never tell. But there were people saying <laughs> yeah, that the year before, yeah, and yeah. until they call your name, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, you just never know. Yeah, and yeah. Um, in fact, we were we recall there was something along the lines of we're standing backstage, and the announcement was in your 1989 silver medalists. Yeah. 
second place. Oh, <laughs> no. I'm like, are you kidding me? So that That's was awesome. a bit of a, a bit, bit similar to, drop. A bit similar to the um, 2013 yeah. when both um, Musical Island Boys and Masterpiece. And second place is... Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> both going, oh, my God. Um, so we've got to keep going. Um, but tell me, before we get sort of finish off with some Crossroads stuff, what would... This is, uh, what would... Um, no, a 2017 Fred Farrell, what advice would you give to 1987 Fred Farrell? Um, well, you know, I have to say, um, I, I don't know that I would change a thing, honestly, because it was the best year of my life. Mm. Um, met my wife. Mm. Oh, cool. Um, moving to Louisville, which was where Second Edition was uh, based. Um, I just, it was a whole new world and nice, a whole new structure, nice, nice. family structure for me. And I stepped into this fabulous quartet and, and stepped into this uh, group of friends that immediately embraced me. Mm-hmm. And um, awesome, awesome. But, that's the best year of my life. Nice, well, beautiful. And, but, but the whole 30 years, what would you? Um, well, you mean but just advice from, yes, between, well, probably. From, from now, Fred, to, to yeah. any time before now, Fred, yes. <laughs> probably not to eat so many sweets. How <laughs> <laughs> can you not that? It's so good. It's so sweet. Yeah, I'd like to be 100 pounds lighter if I had to do it all over again. <laughs> um, cool, man. And so, um, uh, sort of roughly on that note, what, what um, experience about, you know, how you you operate as a human and, and as a musician and how quartets operate what uh, how were you wiser coming into the crossroads experience well you get a little older and you get some perspective mm-hmm. yeah. um you know once you win that first gold medal there's a lot of guys who've spent their entire lives chasing a gold medal mm-hmm. and, and some very good singers that have never gotten there and it can be kind of a uh, uh, you know it can be a you can put you on a, a singular track mm-hmm. that maybe takes priority over some other things so we were fortunate in that we had already been there we'd already mm-hmm. won that gold medal and and once you have a gold medal i know it's easy to say but yep. literally once you have a gold medal you know they say that gold medal and three dollars just to buy a cup of coffee yes. you know? yeah, 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 yeah. it just gives you perspective and it takes pressure off and i remember the very first contest set we had in in um in Nashville in 08 mm-hmm. um, we were nervous we were ready to go on stage and we'd really even contemplated about whether we even wanted to compete or not yes and because everybody kind of makes the assumption that we were put together to win another gold right. medal and that yeah. really was not our motivation yeah. at all it never was and um, we're backstage mm-hmm. getting getting ready to go on for the very first time and again a lot of like second edition there was a lot of expectation yeah. yes. and yes. a lot of yes. hype and a lot of so we were aware of that of course but but Mike turns to us right before we go on stage. He says, guys, we already have everything we want. Mm. <laughs> we have, we're singing with our four best friends. We're singing with our families all get along great. Our wives get along great. We have a wonderful group of kids. We already have everything we, we could possibly want. So there's nothing. There's, it just it was a calming yes. thing. And it, and it really set the tone for the whole quartet from that point on. Nice. We never put any pressure on ourselves because if we never won another gold medal, it wouldn't have mattered. Mm. Um, we make great music together. We have so many laughs together. Mm-hmm. And again, what happens on a particular contest in a con- particular week, in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've gotten to be, come, I've gotten to travel the world with mm-hmm. these guys and mm-hmm. have the most incredible experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't think winning the gold medal in 09 even makes the top 10 of <laughs> wow. the great experiences we've had. Yeah, cool. Not to diminish it. I understand. But yeah. It's, it's a lot of context. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, it's much, it's, it's about much more than a contest, mm -hmm. winning a contest on a certain day. Good on you, good on you, mate. Well, thank so, you for your time and thank you for the music. You um, is there a, another, you've got three CDs, is that right? Is that, is we that, do. Are there we more recordings in the, in the works or not yet? We've or? got one more that's almost finished. Oh, so awesome. we were really hoping hey, to have it here nice. and just couldn't get it done in time. But, Take my money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's going to be good. we got a lot of really great new music uh, that's that's going to be on it that nobody's heard. And uh, uh, yeah, we were hoping to have it here. But oh, well, it'll come out in time. Yeah, yeah. yeah thank fun. you, mate. All the best. All right. Thank you. I think your bin makes it classier. And in the meantime, <laughs> people will hear that. Yeah. They'll hear the way the sound of the flakes. Yeah, They'll be like, oh, next to a bin. Speaking of standing next to a bin. Hey! I'm here, I'm here with Richard Reeve. Wow, oh, that's, that's just mean. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just a sound. It's just a noise. <laughs> we are here with uh, one of my personal favourite leads in Barbershop. And I think that goes for a lot of people, Mr. Matthew Lykos. Oh, wow. Thanks, Richard. That's Rushed good. to fame with, of course, the... Uh, the uh, Australian National Youth Championship Quartet, the Fishbowl Boys. Um, Matty, uh, let's sort of start now and work backwards. How's your last couple of days been here at Harmony College? Well, this is a phenomenal Harmony College. I've been to a handful. Can't say I've made every one, but this is easily my favourite. Just every single class has been packed with great stuff. It's an amazing faculty. They've all been super personable, super knowledgeable. They have great ways of putting stuff. It's all refreshing. It's all exciting. Um, I'm, I'm a bit blown away. I've got a huge book of notes to go sort through. Nice. And what what um, what have you learned from previous Harmony Colleges um, in, in so far as uh, best ways to put these things into practice? Many of us, of course, go home from Harmony College and, and, and could do better in actually applying all those principles. Has there been anything you've learned over the years that, that for you makes it better or it's just your own personal sort of determination? Yeah, no, actually, me for me, working out, and this goes for all kind of learning stuff, I guess I've been a student most of my life, actually working out what works for me has been yeah. the big deal. And for me right now, uh, it's definitely, it's about taking notes in the moment, but it's also about taking the notes after, seeing what's settled, seeing what's important, and actually, actually going into those notes. It's easy enough to take them, I know a lot of people sit in the courses, they get out their recording devices and that's fantastic. And you kind of relax a bit knowing your recording device is going to get the whole course. But I don't, I don't reckon I've ever actually listened back to a recording I've ever had. So I've kind of, I've worked out better for me. That works for you the notes, yeah. Take the notes and then retake the notes. And the consolidated notes are more sensible. And you might miss stuff, but it's better to get in a bit and get it in deep. That's my feeling. Um, you see, that listening back to recordings really do, does work for me. So. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So, that's that's what I to each their own. Learning yeah. what works for you yeah. is most important. Especially podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. Oh, man. I would never <laughs> not listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, um, mate, a question for you. In this, as, as um, we've covered in previous podcasts, that the, what we're trying to do in Barbershop and, and trying to facilitate and encourage that through the performance category, trying to open uh, our genre up to influences of other musical styles and genres. And you're one of the best examples in Australia of... <laughs> of being open to other genres and exploring and just sort of generally, you know, going where the musical winds may, may take you. <laughs> cool. um, uh, tell us, um, A, what, 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 uh, yeah, what, you, what musical ideas you, uh, uh, you know, bring to Barbershop that others may not, and, and vice versa. How are there things that you've learned in Barbershop about the lock and ring or things that are specific to Barbershop that, that have gone the other way? Hey, well, that's, that's a really awesome question. I don't really... 
Do you want some th thinking music to think about it? Row, row, row your boat. Sorry, it's an insane. Yeah, no, no, things, things that I, I sort of like to think that I bring Barbershop or that I would endeavour to bring to Barbershop. Um, let's acknowledge Barbershop mostly. You know, we come to it uh, as it's... You know, we come to it as performers in a kind of like a recital setting where we have the audience's full attention and they're listening to us rhetorically. Um, but like I come from a whole bunch of sort of music backgrounds that maybe are more conversational than that. And it's not one guy standing up taking the crowd. I really like things that are less rhetorical, a bit more of a dialogue. I, so I, I guess I sort of just in attitude really like the idea of going... Not as some grand leader, but just as another one of the many singers in the room, just with my little thing to say in terms of tones and colours and expressions and stuff. I think always it's really important to honour where the song came from. Understand, like I did a Bachelor of Music and there are so many people, I did a Bachelor of Music majoring in singing and there are so many graduates of that singing course that I don't think actually understand what a song is. You understand wow. what a song is. Like a song is something that's sung and it has a particular form about it. Uh, it, it includes all of the elements of the song and it's sort of amazing how many people just don't quite see that. And I just think it's really important to bring all of that. Forget that it's barbershop, not entirely, but yeah. for a moment. And be sure that you're bringing everything about a musical experience as well as barbershop. Great point because it leads on to one of the things I'm currently most fascinated about, and that is there's a, there's a, a, a lady who many of you listeners will be familiar with, a legend in Sweden, called Mo Field, a Canadian who had lived in Sweden for many years. And cut a long story short, hopefully, um, uh, Mo is all about uh, bringing a song to life, knowing where it's come from, come from doing justice to the song, looking into the lyrics, even looking into the history of the song and some of the history of the themes. And I, I love that. I love the concept of making the most of it and not, not missing opportunities that might be there. However, I'm torn because the other the other side of the coin and the other side of the sword is that it's a double-edged sword, you see, this coin. And, and <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. The glass is half full and half empty. Um, is one of the things that Barbershop prides its on, itself on is people can just sing. And removing all the barriers, just blokes or women coming together and just singing, not having this massive investment in effort and time in researching this and learning about that. They just want to sing. So, so what's your thoughts on those two? Making music more accessible to more people. What's your thoughts yeah. on those two sides of the coin? Sort? Absolutely, yeah, two sides of the coin. Two sharp edges of the coin. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> On, on the two sides there. Actually, I I recognise both sides and I do have some strong feelings and the same thing applies to other schools of music that I'm in. So how much do you have to honour uh, history and things? How much is it important that you defer to the kind of the true origin of the music and how much is it important that you just make it right for the time and place that you're in. Yep. I mean, how important is it to make a barbershop? For example, if you're in front of a crowd that understands some other kind of music and has no idea about barbershop, when you can bring them the things that are important to them, in spite of maybe what you have as a barbershop arrangement, that's just an example. And like, well, where do you, where do you draw the line? What's important? I, I always do err on the side of the time and place you are in is most important. It's that crowd there 
if they don't understand what you're putting out, it doesn't matter how deferent or respectful or, or honest or the word that comes up a lot is authentic. Uh, and it kind of makes me want to vomit in my mouth a little bit because I've heard it so many times, but it used to be a nice word. Um, uh, it, it doesn't matter how authentic you are if that crowd isn't going to get it. But my feeling, and this is certainly what one of my idols, uh, Danny Spooner, who died earlier this year, an amazing folk singer, uh, one of my idols said to me, uh, like the last time I saw him, and many times I saw him, he said, don't over-preface things. And I obviously haven't learned that yet. <laughs> but he also said, um, <laughs> you know, he said to me, don't be afraid to make it modern uh, because that's what's going to get people in. People, when they learn about the music, when they see how much you love it, and when they get interested because it relates to them in their time and place and you, then they're going to do their research. That's how you get them in, not by over-worshipping over, uh, the history, by loving the history and making it right for the moment. Okay, and, and that's, yep, that's, that's an awesome perspective. What of like the, the school kids or the retirees or anyone else who's busy in life, maybe not as passionate about music and music history as some of the rest of us, and they just want to float in and have a bit of a sing for a couple of hours and then float away and do the rest of their life. Do, I mean, to what extent do we do we encourage and respect and honour their desire to have music as a basically a fairly simple part of their life and not be weighed down with all these other obligations? They want the, the community connectedness of just making song with someone. What's, what are your thoughts on I that? I say absolutely. I think that's really, really, really important. The music has to be um, what people need to get out of music. And uh, there are many answers to that. Maybe, uh, you know, Barbershop being very thoughtful, very demanding. It kind of you know, has a low margin of error sometimes. You know, things going slightly awry can sound horrible where in other styles things going slightly awry just sounds adds a bit of character. Yeah. So I mean you know there are many there are many answers. Maybe barbershop's not right, but I actually think barbershop is so often right. That's fantastic. Um, if you want it to be simple, by all means keep it simple. But I think then if you're in an if you're in an environment to be representing barbershop, then you just you make that clear. You say, this is what I do on Sundays. There's an amazing body of people that love and worship this and I you just have to say with absolute love I think I'm not necessarily someone that does it for the full history. I just do it because I just love singing these chords in this moment. Yeah. I just think you just, again, it comes back to that authenticity. If that's what you're doing in that moment and you're honest with it, you can get away with anything. Authentic to yourself. You get away with anything. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And, mate, how long you've always struck me as someone who is very. Overthinks things. Is very calm on stage, but is also quite energised. So you're not like most of us, you know, stressed or or, or, or have great stage fright. So you've always struck me as having bringing this musicality and this creativity to the stage. Um, how long like, did you take to stage and performing a scene like a duck to water, or to what extent have you have you sort of evolved and, and, and consciously worked on your own style? Well, I'm sure it's constantly evolving, but to yeah. get to where you are. Um, well, definitely both of those apply. Um, I think I was kind of born performing. I was just one of those kids probably popped out of the womb and smiled and someone smiled back and I went, All right, I like this. This is, this, is, this is a pretty easy way to do it. Um, See, Jim, Jim Henry popped out of the womb and I went, wow. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and certainly, you know, just sort of um, singing definitely has that 
for me as well. Just it's definitely just sort of a part of life and a thing I do. But for me, it hasn't always come from a performance place. Uh, singing is something for me that belongs very much to community. Like I, I come from a different background to barbershop just culturally. Uh, my Every Friday night I would go to the hall where there's a bunch of blokes playing music up on stage, a whole bunch of people dancing, and when I was four, we'd go there every Friday night and I would go to sleep under one of the tables in the corner, right? And so that's, you know, those, those musos that are playing, those, those musos that are playing, are, my main point is the same people who are doing the dancing. There's no great segregation, they're not performers, they don't have some fantastic pressure. And the singing equivalent of that same culture, that's the dance side, is when you just sit around in a circle and one dude plays a song and everyone listens. And that has nothing to do with performance, I'm a great performer, I demand your attention. That just has to do with, this is a thing I do, I'm having a conversation, it's like just telling a story around the bar. Absolutely. And that's just a thing people do. So I kind of come from that and I try to take that to the stage as well, where I'm not under some great pressure where my job is just actually to do what I do, yeah. uh, and it's a sharing thing, not a performing thing. That's wonderful. What a wonderful segue. Um, because people just just sitting around and all participating in the music rather than being passive recipients of it, yeah. of course, is how Barbershop began. It began as a participatory rather than a performing hobby, an art form genre. That's a really, that's a good observation. I haven't made that connection. So, yeah, so I guess, from your perspective, um, yeah, talk to me about the the other double-edged sword of, of it, it, it evolving from a, more of a participation to more of a performance genre. Yeah, uh, well, this this kind of this hits me in a sensitive place because this doesn't just happen with barbershop. I believe this happens with the music culture uh, generally. Um, I'll try to keep it about barbershop. Uh, I think I think we gain a lot uh, because we have this kind of respect that says we're always listening to that person singing and I think that's a really nice thing um, but it's about the way we listen uh, we kind of become very stuffy a little bit like maybe sort of the, the recital culture where the audience sort of sits down and they turn up to the show to be seen and they make sure that they paid their bits and there's also an element of, of sort of don't interrupt the performer. Very much. There's that, there's that separation which you were talking about wasn't the case with, with the, the dancing on Friday night. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, when, when a song has a joke, you want people to laugh. Yes. When a song has you know, some sort of rambunctious bit, you know, like a heckle is a wonderful part of, for example, just naturally blokes sitting around the bar telling a story, and I think that's a cool thing for us to capture, it being a bloke's kind of form. We want to have blokey things on this, in a very refined, approachable, nice way. But like, these are things... Refined blokes, yeah. is that an oxymoron? Yes, anyway, I, think that's, I think that's kind of what we're going for, isn't it? I, um, uh, I, I, think, I think it's really important, the respect for listening, but I don't think, I don't think making it totally rhetorical helps. I think, you know, you listen to any other style of music, you go to a rock concert and a guy whips his guitar and there's an amazing sound happening and then there's a pause. The crowd doesn't go, mm. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't nod with silent appreciation. You know? Yeah, no, no, they scream. You know, like I'm not saying barbershop audiences should scream, but I'm saying, like, it's a two-way thing. And... Barbershop as well suits like having a very particular plan and not necessarily changing it the way that we might in another style. So that's maybe another reason why we might be not inclined to scream out or make the heckle. But I think, 
I think there's give and take there. I think, you know, just because it's not great to do it to the extreme doesn't mean it's not great to do it. Yes. To make it a conversation, to put yourself on the stage while you're in the audience and vice versa. Uh, all excellent points. So, um, on those points... Does that the question? I forgot the question. You spoke eloquently, so it's, you superseded the requirement to answer the question. Well, you'll get your assessment in the, in the... We'll send you an email. That's right. So, talk specifically about the, the, the benefit of competition in relation to sort of... Most of us are at least somewhat competitive creatures. We're social animals, cool. so it does, you know, sort of give us a goal, yeah. give us that little little push along. We have a deadline, um, so it's a positive thing to talk about. Also, talk about the concept of people being encouraged, but maybe getting on stage before they're ready and having it maybe being not a great experience because that either they're not natural performers yeah. or they're just having a go that they're not ready. Those sorts of things. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of an interesting thing. I. Um, I think I encountered this a lot in my chorus. Uh, you know, when is the right time to get someone to go do that presenting in front of the chorus? When is the right time to give them that level of pressure when they might be new and they might feel like they don't belong when that might potentially feel alienating for them when uh, that could, could possibly either be the make or break when that could mean they stay because they feel valued yep. or it could mean they disappear because it's because it's scary, you know, how do yep. you make that decision? And I actually was very lucky I had like a trained psychologist in the choir uh, who just said, just let them choose to do it when they're ready. Like yeah. if you make the option and they can put their hand up, uh, then people might actually do it sooner than you think. Nice. And that didn't work in Taking every case. Taking the second guessing away from you and yeah. giving empowering them. Yeah, um, and I, so that, that won't work all the time. But I think, you know, if if you're of a director or teacher mindset, which not all you lovely listeners might necessarily be, but those of us that are kind of have to um, have to always be uh, mindful of, you know, you have a first layer of information and that'll hit so many people yes. and then you have to fill in the gaps. Uh, and that's the same kind of thing. So like that, just giving them the option, giving people the option, you go on stage when you're ready is great. Of course, then you also have the responsibility. Sometimes you're the mental person and sometimes it lands upon you to do the difficult thing and maybe give them that nudge out of the nest. Yeah. Um, but the nudge out of the nest is always, I think, should always be saved for when something's going wrong, when something's taking too long. It's not a it's not a go-to, it's not a first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a last resort. Yep. Yeah, yeah, interesting point. Because of course the I just started talking to directors. No need. Just, yeah. um, the double edge the, the uh, push up double edge. Yeah, yeah, double edge sharp double edge coin yeah. um, of a barbershop is that uh, many of us are more naturally chorus singers because we we join harmony singing certainly because we're not soloists and so we want to be part of a bigger ensemble um, and I think that's so that's where the combination of, of the, the mentoring and a little bit of pushing but some people just don't want to sing in a quartet whereas others may be in more of a, 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 a community more sort of low-key just sitting around like like the tags, the pockets after rehearsal, all sorts of things. Let's just have a scene in a quartet. We, we continue to you know to to, to um, refer to and, and admire the and respect the the quartet as kind of the, the yeah. purest form of barbershop, just right. one one voice per part. Um, so certainly what people recognise as barbershopping. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, mate, um, where to from here? You, 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 
would I be correct in assuming that you'll you'll continue just being open to and, and pursuing a range of musical opportunities? But you see barbershop as continuing to be a, a core part of your musical life for a while. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's um, it's sort of seasonal is. I mean at the moment this convention just passed. I kind of had two what I call project basis quartets, which is to say. They had a project that was go to the convention and have a ball, put out whatever things on the stage that we kind of made our mission statement, and now that that's done, they're done. So I'm actually a free agent. I'm not a barbershopper right now. I'm totally come the end of this army college. I'm just I'm, I'm just Some dude. I'm just a dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I uh, yeah no barbershop barbershop for me is many things. Um, probably the thing that makes me keep on coming back to it is it's a really important kind of core foundational part of my uh, sort of technical awareness of singing. Uh, I did a four-year singing degree as a classical performance major um, uh, and you know heaps of musos do the classical training thing for the technical awareness, technical brilliance, for that push to you know give them some credibility but I feel like barbershop is actually my preferred preferred um, means of getting that same kind of thing. So I, it'll continue to be that, but I'm also driven by, as you describe, that kind of want to just put different attitudes, different goals, different uh, performance styles and musical colors kind of into the, the barbershop, um, into the barbershop texture on our Aussie stage. Nice. Well, long may I continue. If you like us, thank you for your time. Thank you for the music. Uh, thank you for your contribution to Barbershop and, and may our paths continue to cross. Thank All you, right, man. Yeah, let's sing some time. <laughs>